Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. A dinosaur story. Oh, I like that movie. So last week we left off when Margaret and Terry were getting ready to go to trial. So also though, should you be new to the show? Sure. Gotta start with episode, whichever one is before this, uh, part one of this. So this one's not going to make sense until you listen to part one. Uh, This is part two of a two-part series. So just a word of warning there. You'll want to listen to part one first. Everybody else? Let's keep it moving. Margaret and Terry were tried separately, but Judge Stephen Greffer presided over both of their trials. Terry Speaks appeared for his arraignment on October 20th, 2014, where he pled not guilty to the charges. His trial date was pushed back a few times due to the defense asking for continuances to review the evidence, but his trial finally occurred in June 2015. Representing the state was District Attorney Paul Connick Jr., ADA Douglas Fries, and ADA Thomas Block. The prosecution presented multiple items for their case, including 51 images of the victim's torso found in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. It's horrible. The next one is even more horrible. 25 images of the victim's head and calf found in Harrison County. 62 images of the victim's head and clothes, 11,566 pages of internet history from Firefox and Internet Explorer, and 691 pages of emails between Speaks and Sanchez over a period from March 17, 2013 through January 4, 2014. The photographs shown to the jury were really hard for them to see because of how gruesome they were, and many of them got emotional while witnessing them. I cannot imagine seeing photos of body parts separated by different counties miles away from each other. No, I mean, that's insane. And it's gruesome. And the fact that they had to sit through it. And I don't know. I mean, that's that's their job. You know, like, that's what they're there for is to look at it. But that you can't separate it from no what it is. Yeah. And it's like to be a juror, that's that's a crazy duty that you have to fulfill because, you know, in, in a lot of cases, if it's like minor stuff, it's not a big deal. But in a murder case, there's a good chance that you're going to see stuff that you've never even thought about having to witness, you know, and stuff that won't quickly leave you. Exactly. And you have to look at it from you're supposed to look at it from a law perspective. You're supposed to remove that emotion, but you're looking at this woman who is a woman, who's a person, who's a mother, who's a girlfriend, who's a daughter. This is not just mannequin photos, you know, like this is real life. I just can't imagine what you would go through 
having to look at stuff like that in a trial. Well, we've covered cases, specifically Jessica Chambers' case, and the yes. people that found her, like the first responders, they were in therapy for years. Yeah, and some of them had to quit. And th- and that was something that they were used, not not necessarily her situation that they were used to seeing, but you kind of have they to were used to dealing with people who had incurred injuries from being in fires or you know, first responders, I mean, they, a lot of times they're going to get to the scene of an accident before anybody else does or, you know, whatever it is. Like they've seen some pretty crazy stuff. So for them to have to go through as much therapy as they did and then to say, you know what, I can't even do this job anymore. That's crazy. Right. It's so sad. Jurors who are just kind of run of the mill everyday People. Yeah, you're like, look, I fucking work at a bank, okay? Yeah. Like, I didn't ask to to be a part of this. Yeah. Didn't want to see all of this. I don't listen to true crime podcasts. I just want to listen to some Little River Band on the way to work. <laughs> Always got Little River Band queued up. Always. Always. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are some people that, because I try to talk to everyone that looks in my direction about true crime, and not everybody sure. likes to. No. Because some people are wrong. Well, yeah, and that's their journey. That's fine. If they want to be wrong. But But you have to think about that. I mean, not everybody is as into the specifics of some pretty fucked up shit. Yeah, and like, you know, that is a question too. Is it it a good thing to be desensitized to some of this kind of thing? Because as a juror, I think you almost have to be. Otherwise, you can't objectively look at a case. Law is reason free from passion. Yes. I try, ever since I made the connection, every time we do a case now, I'm going to be like, you know what? The law <laughs> is reason free. You know, from this passion. reminds me of something my grandma used to say. Law is reason free from passion. <laughs> my grandmother also is Aristotle. Yes. You should taste your cookies. Oh, sure. Ain't no party like my grandma's tea party. Hey, ho. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, that's a lot for anybody to take. Yeah. And there, I think there is something to being able to, you know, not be so, I, I still think even, even as much as we talk about things like this, the, you know, reading something like that, I still think if that was in front of me, I'd probably throw up because that, um, that mixtape that we did a couple weeks ago. So for anybody who doesn't know what the mixtape is, we have, uh, on our Patreon, the $5 level and up, I guess, but the $5 level gets you the mixtape. And so every week we do a shorter show. It's like 20, 30 minutes long. And we go through headlines that have happened in true crime like that week. Sometimes it's big case updates. Sometimes it's just other things. But a couple weeks ago, I think it was we did one where a girl who had live streamed a wreck in which her sister died. So she was like on Instagram live, I guess. Is that what it's called? I think so. Okay. So she's like on Instagram live. She's live streaming her basically just driving a car and trying to look badass. I really can't tell what the point of it was. She's like singing to a song. She's got her sister and her sister's friend in the backseat. Her sister's 14 years old and neither one of them are wearing seatbelts. And she, of course, loses control of the car because she is in no way, shape or form paying attention to the fact that she's driving a fucking vehicle and you're watching the whole, like you can see the whole thing. And so... I was trying to grab some audio for it because I had found a thing. It was, I don't remember who it was, almost like a BuzzFeed reporter or whatever, like reporting on it. So I thought this is safe because I don't want to see 
I'm not prepared to see this because they said she live streamed the whole thing and you can see her sister's dead body. So her sister gets ejected from the car and immediately is dead. And so the girl gets out of the car and she like goes over to her and she's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I love my sister. I don't give a fuck. Like, she's obviously either like drunk or on drugs or something. She's like way out of her mind. Super messed up. Yeah. But when I I had found like a a link of a clip I was going to use. And then for whatever reason, I couldn't find the same clip. And so I just clicked on a different one. And the one that I clicked on did not have anything blurred out. And I was expecting it to be blurred out. So like even knowing what was behind that blur, like I didn't want to see it, but I did. And as soon as I saw it, I backed out of that clip. I was like, oh my God, this is not what I wanted. But you could see the girl. I mean, she got ejected from the car and like it smashed part of her skull in. It was horrific. And the whole rest of that day, it was like every time I closed my eyes, it was all I could see. I don't know. It just, it really affected me. She was 14 years old. Like, I just can't imagine. I'm sure that her sister has got to feel like a piece of shit. You know, she was 19 years old when it happened or whatever, and she made a really stupid decision trying to just be cool and not taking into account the consequences that can happen. And of course, because she was so messed up on alcohol or drugs or whatever, she didn't have a scratch on her. I don't know. It was just really tough. So anyway, I just can't imagine what these jurors had to go through seeing these photos. It's just to make a short story long. exactly what you did yeah i just can't imagine it they had two witnesses for the state who were inmates at the federal correctional institution in otisville new york christian del rosario and trevor lucas had been cellmates with terry speaks at separate times and knew information about jaron's case that had not been released to the public The defense attempted to throw out Speak's jailhouse confessions because they'd basically said that the inmates were only doing it to try to get their sentences reduced, but this was also denied. Speak's story changed a little bit every time he told both of the inmates a story, but here's the gist of what he told each of them. So this is where we're going to (sighs) get Terry's story of what happened that night. So first, you know, he had no idea what happened to her. He was nowhere near her. He had nothing going on with it. He didn't kill her. And he didn't even know who she was, right? I mean, that was one of the biggest stories that he told was he never met her. That, you know, that did confuse me a little bit because in the documentary, it seemed like they were acting like it was almost like a stranger thing. It was like they were just going around asking different women and she was the first one who said yes, but... But he worked with her. Yeah, but he did work with her, but they were acting like that he had no connection to her whatsoever. You know, because once I started going through this information that Olivia put together, I was like, wait, I thought they didn't know each other. I know. Olivia's research was a lot more thorough than the documentary. I'm glad that I had some background on it, but. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to, you know, watch those things, but it does kind of put into perspective, like, you don't get all the information in these kind of episodes because it definitely did make it seem like in that snapped episode that they. Kind of willy-nilly, like, at random. Yeah, at random, had no connection to her or what or anything, but knowing that they had worked together put definitely into context why she would have left with them. Because every, when they talked to her friends and family, they said she never would have left with somebody she didn't know. They thought it was very unusual and all that kind of thing, but if she did know him... And definitely, if he had been a bouncer, 
you would think that he's a little bit more safe. Yeah. So you can kind of see where she might have been coming from being able or feeling a little more comfortable with that. But yeah, it was confusing in the documentary, like the way that they laid it out. And and I didn't know if that's just what he was telling authorities. Right. You know? Yeah. The first thing that he told the inmates was that he and his wife met Jaren at the club, offered her drugs, and she accepted, and she agreed to go with them. Their plan was just to have sex with her somewhere, and Terry said that they'd done this with other girls in the past. At some point when they were riding in the vehicle, this is so weird, Terry noticed she was dead. What? You just look back and you're like, oh, fuck. I guess she died. She just died. From what? I don't know if he's saying she had an overdose. All of a sudden, she just now is dead. She's 22 years old. That is highly unlikely she had a heart attack. Like, no. Yeah. So he says all of a sudden she's just dead out of nowhere. Riding in the car, having a good time. Dead. Just dead. So then they said, here's a good idea. We're going to dismember her. So they go ahead and dismember her. He said they cut off her head, arms, and legs placed her body parts in plastic bags, put him in the trunk of the car. So this is exactly corroborating what the neighbor said, that he saw him loading garbage bags that were so heavy that he had to use both of his hands and hold it up as high as he could. And then when he saw this guy noticing that he's putting bags in his car, he just went back inside with yeah, the Yeah, he hightailed his ass right back in. So they put it in the trunk and they disposed of the body parts separately and as far away as they could to try to throw off law enforcement. Here's the thing. They're doing so much work to, quote unquote, throw off law enforcement, you know, cutting the tattoos away, driving as far away as they can. But they can't like they're their own worst enemies about it. You know, like digital footprints for all of it. It's literally like if you had taken MapQuest and followed their asses everywhere. Is there another way to find somewhere that you don't know about other than MapQuest? If there is, please let me know. Yeah, I'm confused. I don't know about it. I mean, they just, they made a perfect, like, breadcrumb trail (laughs) to everywhere that they went. Immediately. Like, I just don't get it. So. You dumb bitch. Yeah. He further detailed her dismemberment by saying they did it in the bathtub and bought Clorox and Drano to clean all traces of her blood from the tub and the drain pipe. So that could be why, because the police never found any of her DNA in the home. But at the same time, you have neighbors saying that you could fucking smell the bleach from down the street. In another version of the story, though, Speaks claimed that he and Sanchez offered to party with Jaren, and she turned them down. So they decided to follow her, hit her over the head with some sort of blunt object, and it knocked her out. Then they hogtied her, placed her in the trunk, and drove to their home where they put her in the bathtub. Oh, man. When she came to... Margaret apparently went nuts and stabbed her multiple times until she was dead. And then Terry dismembered her with a gas metal saw. Terry also reportedly bragged that they had murdered multiple other people and that they, and that they should check the dog if they wanted to find <gasps> Jaren's organs. Oh my god. Ugh, it's oh so my awful. God. In several versions of the story, Terry said that Margaret was responsible for murdering Jaren and that he was just cleaning up the mess. So here's another thing. He's like sending all those emails, you know, and he's like, Margaret, you I'm taking the fall for you. Like I'm doing all the work. I did all the stuff. And 
Well, didn't he also say in the emails that she was going to burn? She was going to be the one? Yeah, he was like, you're the one they're going to fry for it. But he's also just like immediately throwing her under the bus and being like, well, she's the one that murdered her. I just cleaned it up. Like she did it. Yeah, exactly. It was all her. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. I don't know. Wouldn't there be blood or something in the car if they hit her over the head with a blunt object? You would think. So, I mean, that's another thing. It's like they didn't find anything in the car either. The only thing that they found was like a hair that matched Jaren's hair color, not Margaret's, because they had they had different lengths and color of hair. In sand. In sand. Yeah, they did find the sand. But they sent the hair off for testing, but it was inconclusive. Yeah. And on the torso, they only found one stab wound to the heart, not multiple stab wounds. Yeah. I mean, they're a bunch of liars. Totally. Yeah. He stated on many occasions that Margaret was not present when he disposed of the body. He either left her at home or had dropped her off at work. Then he drove to Mississippi and disposed of the body parts himself. The case that the defense presented was that basically only circumstantial evidence linked Speaks and Sanchez to the case. No physical evidence. Throughout the trial, they pulled out all the stops. They tried to get indictments thrown out. They tried to file motions for a mistrial, but everything was denied. John Benz and Brad Scott were appointed as Terry's defense attorneys, but then Terry opted to represent himself as counsel for the trial. So they were just on standby as his assistant counsel. Classic. Yeah. Then after day two of the trial, Terry decided he needed his attorneys again. Like, duh. Like, time out, guys. I'm in over my head here, so. Uh, can we have a do-over? <laughs> like, uh, you fucking dumb bitch. I just don't. I'm actually not as smart as I thought I was. Yeah. So. In what world did he think he was going to be able to defend himself? I don't know. Terry took the stand as a witness of, in his own defense on day five of the trial. Okay, and now here's his official, I guess, account of what happened that night. He and Margaret went to the French Quarter the night of June 5th, 2012 to see if someone they knew that... Oh my God, you guys. Get ready for this fucking story. It's insane. To see if someone they knew that worked at a local bar named Mrs. Morris would take their dog, but she wasn't there. Where all of a sudden is this we need somebody to take our dog story coming from? I have no idea. Then they went to a bar called Stilettos looking for her there because her ex-husband worked there. While they were inside stilettos, they ran into a man, just some man, who asked if they could get a dancer to go to a private party for this guy. So it's, it wasn't ever their private party. They're just doing it for someone else. Yes. They said this mystery man, Nick, offered him a $200 referral fee if he could get a girl. And then they would pay the girl 500 bucks. All this is happening. He's never met this man before. They don't know this man. They can't produce this man. <laughs> He's just, he just appeared as if from nowhere and said, excuse me. Now, why he couldn't walk up to a dancer and say, hey, do you want to come here? I'll give you 500 bucks and cut out the $200 middleman. I don't know. But well, he, that would be too easy. That would that would be like making that stuff up, you know, like, mm, yeah, not believable at all. Right. But their story actually does make sense if you really want to see it. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So there he's like, 
these people look like they could persuade a dancer to come to my party or something. I don't know. So they asked a girl at the door of the club, but she declined. Then they met Miss Morris and they made plans to give her the dog. What's Appa- the deal with the dog? Though? I don't know, but are they, you know, he brought the dog to Margaret's work the day after the murder. Are they at this point that night, they're just walking around to all these clubs with their dog there? They're inside the clubs. They have a house, though. Why don't they just leave the dog at the house? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. So, and they have the dog with them. They do, in fact, find Miss Morris, and they make plans with her to take the dog. Why doesn't she take the dog tonight? Because we know he has the dog the next day. Because the girl that Margaret works with has to kick him out of the bar because she's like, you can't have your fucking dog here anymore, dude. You gotta bring it home. Yeah, why isn't Miss Morris holding up her end of the deal? Yeah, it just makes no sense. No. So, Terry says Margaret was the one that was insisting to continue looking for a girl. This is her, all her idea. She continued to ask girls next door at Temptations. And all the, every girl that they're asking is saying no. So, then they approach Jaren. And Terry claimed to have not known who she was. There it is. Yeah, which we all know is not true. He worked with her. Margaret went back next door to Stilettos. Jaren finished her dance. She was on stage at that point. And then she came to stand by Terry and asked where his wife was. And he responded that she left to go next door to find something for her. Jaren left to go change. And then she came back to stand with Terry again. And then they walked next door to Stilettos to find Margaret. And she told them to wait outside. Margaret came outside later and stated she couldn't find anything. I don't know. Is this something that he he's saying maybe this was like another girl for the party? I don't know. The three then discussed the details of the party and payment terms, and Jaren agreed to go along with it. Terry said they met the man, this mystery man, on one of the nearby streets, and he told them that he now only wanted one girl for the party. So Terry only got $100 since he had only given them him one girl. Then apparently Margaret pulled Jaren to the side. Jaren gave her the boots she had in her bag. And then Margaret said she had a surprise for Jaren at their house. After that, <laughs> Jaren walks off with this Nick guy. Terry and Margaret leave in their Lumina. And they never saw Jaren again after that. He said when they got home around 3 in the morning... They had sex for a couple of hours during the Venus transition. Well, there's your lie right there. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, I'm sorry, 20 minutes tops. Thank you. (laughs) Right. Um, So the Venus transition is this like astronomical phenomenon where Venus passes over the sun once only every 2000 years. And apparently they had this like fascination with it it was like this huge deal it's gonna it's come, orgasmic if you will apparently it'll come back in the case but he mentions it in his testimony then they left after they've just had sex for a couple hours then they left to go have sex on the rocks by the lake okay. and it was meaningful to them because of this venus transition so after all this he says they went home margaret ate a snack She got sick and threw up all over the floor at their house. And then Terry just was cleaning up after her. Then they got in the bed and tried to go to sleep, but they just dozed off and on for a while. 
And then at about 7.30 or 7.45, Terry got up to make coffee because he was just too wound up to sleep and Margaret stayed in bed. Then he went about his normal day. He watered the plants in the garden. He washed the dog. He drove Margaret to work. He hung out with her at work for a little while. With said dog, sure. Mm-hmm. Then he went home to tidy up the house. He washed the dishes. He washed the clothes. And he worked in the yard. Later that night, he picked up Margaret from work. And they met Miss Morris at the Winn-Dixie to give her the dog. And they got back home between 8 and 8.20. When they pulled up at home, a friend of theirs named JC had shown up and asked to use their car for $50. Do you? This is so... I can't even. <laughs> now we've got somebody asking to use their car for $50. Like, come on. He agreed to have it back by sunup with the keys under the mat, and then Terry and Sanchez went about their normal night routine, and then they went to bed. The next day, which would have been June 7th, Terry and Margaret woke up and saw the car back in the driveway with the keys under the mat, and then they went to visit their friends, Jason and Leanne. They went shopping, and then they moved out of the house. This is when Leanne said they could stay with her, because they said they couldn't be in their home during that time. On June the 12th, the day they were first arrested, they went to Hammond, Louisiana, to attend an award ceremony for Margaret's son, who she did not have custody of. God, that poor kid. And then went to a restaurant, but ended up leaving because... Terry thought Sanchez's mom was acting weird, like she was suspicious of them for some reason. When they were driving back, they were, that's when they were apprehended by the police. So in his testimony, he completely denies murdering Jared, but he does say that he thinks they contributed to it because they had gotten her to agree to go to a party and then she ended up dead. At this point, many people on the prosecution side just walked out of the courtroom because they couldn't stand hearing his bullshit anymore. And he said that in his and Margaret's conversation, he was referring to their drug abuse and activity in the porn business, not the murder. And there were a lot of typos in the email. So they were just all taken out of context. Like, <laughs> you're the one who's going to fry for this uh, drug activity, not murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness that's it's far-fetched and it's it's sweet that he thought that people would buy it you know what i bet he was like you know what it's just so crazy it just might work it just might work because you had them driving all the way to mississippi or if you're phoebe mississippi <laughs> and it's their car like it's on it's on video like there's different cctv catching the checkpoints. them yeah so it's their car. So now he's got to come up with a reason why their car is there, but they're not. It's not them. So it's a friend that asked to borrow it for $50. Hairs. So are we saying that this friend happened to attend the party with this mystery Nick guy who we don't know who he is. We've never seen him again. I don't know him. Never hung out with him. He's a mystery guy to me. But somehow my friend ended up at the same party where this girl ended up dead that we set it up, but I didn't know about it. And then my friend asked to borrow my car. And then somehow he takes my car to the same place that this Nick guy dumped her body. This is like Scott Peterson saying that the people who broke into the house down the street from them murdered Lacey and happened to drive her because they saw on the news that he'd been fishing that day, 90 plus miles to the fucking bay where he went fishing and dumped her body there. It's hours away, but these 
people who didn't even own their own cars. They had, they rode fucking bicycles, half of them. They drove Lacey all the way there to frame his ass. Like, come on. So he said he cleaned the house and deleted the stuff on the computer and pictures while Margaret was at work to hide evidence of pot plants they were growing in the house and porn ads they were going to place for their escort services. Because these things would affect Margaret trying to get custody of her children back. Thank God Margaret never got custody of what sounds like more than one child. Good God. Now he's got to explain away Jaren's boots because they found her boots there. He said he had no clue if they were still in possession of them, even though he had just said earlier that Jaren had given Margaret the boots. So now he denies testimony of the other girls that they propositioned that night and denied the testimony of the two inmates as well. So now he's saying all of these other people are lying. None of that other stuff happened. They're all lying. And he also says he didn't recall seeing his neighbor while he was outside with the bags. So somehow the neighbor just happened to know what he was doing with the bags. He admitted to obstruction of justice because Margaret had Jaren's boots and never turned them over to police or family members. Margaret's father, Joe Sanchez, testified that Margaret was living in her mother's home on 2029 Connecticut Avenue in Kenner, Louisiana, and had been driving his 2001 Chevy Lumina. Oh, man. I know we talked about this with, I can't remember who it was, but had borrowed his, like, grandma's car or whatever. Oh, was it Bill Flynn and... Oh, yes. Hansmart? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I went and borrowed my grandma's car. And it's like, you fucking murdered somebody when you borrowed my car. So Margaret's driving dad's car. And he had told Margaret that he needed his vehicle back by June 12th. And he was going to be giving her a geo prism that he had purchased for her. He drove the Lumina on occasion and had some of his personal belongings inside of it and noted that it was always messy. He stated that Alan Rice was staying at the home as a roommate with Margaret because she'd been having trouble paying the bills by herself. Prior to June 6, 2012, he'd received notice that the house would be foreclosed. His sister had been living at the residence sporadically, never spending the night, but Mr. Sanchez said that Margaret and Terry were ordered to move out of the house because they could not get along with his sister and to get rid of the dog. Okay, so this is why we're getting rid of the dog. He said that he often helped out financially and there was no way that Terry and Margaret would have had the money that they were using to try to lure the dancers that night. In closing arguments, ADA Tommy Block told the jury the defendant Terry Speaks and his girlfriend Margaret Sanchez committed this crime. Jaren Lockhart tells you that from the grave. Her own body tells you she died for her life, struggling. She died at the hands of this defendant and his girlfriend, and a woman in the jury began openly crying as Block said those words. On June 10, 2015, day five of the trial, the jury rested at 5.47 p.m. and came back with their verdict at 8.17 p.m., so they deliberated for about two and a half hours. They found Terry guilty of second-degree murder, ob obstruction of justice, and conspiracy to commit obstruction of justice. Three years after he killed Jaron, his sentencing was held on July 9, 2015, where the state presented the victim impact statement from Donna Kulik, who is the mother of Jeremy Foster and is raising their daughter, Riley. She said that he robbed the child of love, security, and memories, and may God forgive you because right now we're not able to find it in our hearts to forgive you for what you've done to our family. 
Wow, that's big. That is big. It's got to be tough. Terry was sentenced to life in prison with hard labor and no benefit of parole to be served in Louisiana State Penitentiary, also known as Angola, which is a maximum security prison farm consisting of 18,000 acres located in Angola, Louisiana. Later, and I don't know if I'm saying this judge's name right, later Judge Greffer, I don't know, ended up giving Terry a second life sentence since he was a quadruple felony offender under Louisiana's habitual offender law. He stated the horrendous mutilation and disposal of Jaron Lockhart's body showed your complete disregard for the life of Ms. Lockhart. Terry again tried to file appeals starting on the day of his sentencing on the grounds that there was insufficient evidence. The trial court abused its discretion by allowing him to represent himself and that the court denied his motion for a new trial, even citing mental illness with no proof of such. But these motions were denied. He wrote a letter to the judge on May 20th, 2016, saying that he would not testify for the DA and Margaret's trial and it would be a waste of time for all parties involved to contact him or have him transported. Whatever. So he made a big fucking deal to represent himself. And then he turned around. And you know, when they do that, they they go through a lot of hoops to represent themselves. They're like, are you sure you want to do this? It's well within your right to use your attorneys. Like they really, really make sure that you completely understand what you're doing. And that it's really against your best interest to do something like that. And then he gets sentenced to life in prison and he's like, well, you guys let me, you guys let me represent myself. That's not, that's not right. You never should have let me do that. You're the one who wanted to do it. Exactly. Only if it goes in their favor. Exactly. I want to take a quick moment to ask you a question. Have you ever gotten off work late and needed to go to the store but don't have time? Or ended up having to stay at home with a sick kid and just can't make it to the store? Well, me too. And I discovered Shipt recently and I seriously cannot recommend it enough. Shipt is a grocery delivery service that is committed to providing the best experience possible to members. There have been so many times that we've just run out of time in the day, all kinds of stuff going on. And right before dinner, I'm like, oh my God, I have to go to the store, but I don't have time. With Shipped, my groceries are at my door within an hour or so of placing my order, and I can still get dinner on the table for my family. Shipped saves me time on my grocery trips, and they even deliver from Target which has paid for my membership on its own because I can't leave Target without buying everything in sight, literally. So that way, I just put what I need in the app and my shopper gets it for me and then I don't spend $100,000 extra dollars on the way going through the aisles. To get $50 off your membership, visit signup.shipped.com and enter our promo code, KILLERQUEENS. When you go to signup.shipped.com, Click have a promo code underneath the email and zip code, and you'll be able to enter the code KILLERQUEENS for your $50 off discount. You will love it, I promise. Now, back to the show. Margaret Sanchez had her arraignment hearing on August 25th, 2014, where she initially pled not guilty to the charges. She was represented by Cynthia Semino and Anna Friedberg. 
Her trial was pushed back several times for continuances from the defense, and they tried to throw out the indictment, but that motion was denied. The state then offered Margaret a deal with the blessing of Jaren's family, and Margaret waived her right to a jury trial. Again, smart. On June, I think in a lot of cases, that's smart, just because of the emotion that a jury is going to feel when they see those pictures. From a defense standpoint, I think it's, that's a smart thing. On June 20th, 2016, Sanchez pled guilty to manslaughter, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy to obstruct justice and was sentenced to serve 40 years and 20 years, all running concurrently. Donna Kulik, uh, which was Jeremy Foster's mother who's raising uh, Jaren and Jeremy's daughter, read her victim impact statement to which she said that justice had not been served because Margaret would not spend her life in prison. On the episode of Killer Couples that we watched, John Allison of the Hancock County Sheriff's Office described Margaret Sanchez as cold-hearted, the epitome of evil, and only showing remorse for herself and her sentence. The one thing that really bothered Jaren's family during the investigation and the trial was that the media kept referring to her as a stripper, and they stressed multiple times that Jaren was way more than just her profession and her life choices. And that really, that really pissed me off too, because I know they talked to, I don't, I think it was a, a friend of Jaren's or whatever, but you know, this happened in the Mackenzie Lewitt case too, when she went missing and even when she was found to be dead. And they started talking about the fact that, you know, she was maybe on some of these sites where, where she was kind of performing maybe like escort type services and stuff like that. And somebody even commented, like, when we posted a thing about Mackenzie Lewis, somebody commented on our Instagram and was like, well, you know. She had it coming. Yeah, that's what you get when you when you don't respect yourself and your body or something like that. And I That just, is victim blaming. Yeah. To the, like, I just deleted that immediately. Um, I didn't even, I didn't even dignify it with a response or anything. I just deleted it. But. No one deserves to have anything like that happen to them. Absolutely not. Nobody deserves to have anything like that happen to them. And. I mean, I feel like there's this, there is such a stigma with anything having to do with the industry of sex work or anything like that. But at the same time, what's really funny to me is those same people, I guarantee, I don't know the person that left the comment, this is what happens when you put yourself in that kind of a situation. But if that person has never once downloaded porn or gone to a strip club, I'd like to see that evidence. Because you're perpetuating the very industry that you're saying these these women deserve to die. Like, if you think if you think it's so wrong what they're doing, then you don't you don't have anything to do with it. You don't make any purchases that have anything to do with that. You know what I mean? Like, it pisses me off. It's like the stones and glass houses or whatever. You're going to sit there and talk about somebody because of the life situation that they're in or whatever. And and honestly, that in Quincy, I have not edited this yet, but I swear I'm going to. We did an interview, a video interview with um, we got a message from a listener who works for a nonprofit organization that helps to provide law enforcement with information about sex trafficking. Yeah, they help them like search for these women and and help law enforcement like apprehend them it's a like really give tips on yeah maybe where they are where they're going or yeah, yeah they just like put out all their 
their investigative and yeah. resources and all that kind of stuff. It's a really, really awesome uh, nonprofit. And we learned so much. So, you know, there are women who are in that profession because they want to. And that's fine. There are women, though, who are in that situation because they've been forced to be. So, and not just women, men too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So to sit there and say that, well, that's what you get for putting yourself in that situation. Well, if you've been trafficked, I mean, anyway, none of them, uh, you know, none of them deserve any harm whatsoever. But you're forgetting to take into account all of the people who are put in that situation unwillingly too. And it's an alarming rate that that happens. I was very, very unaware of the nature of human trafficking and how it really happens. Like in your mind, you're thinking, or in my mind anyway, I was just thinking like abduction. That's how it happens. It's so much more subtle than that. It can be. And it's such a mind fuck that these people and they'll they'll just straight up like get women hooked on drugs. Right. The manipulation is intense and yeah. real. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. Um, and not to be funny and not to be uh, I'm not trying to be like cheeky or whatever. But that City High song, what would you yeah. do if your son was at home? Like you don't know what people have gone through or what yeah. what the circumstances are. You just don't. Exactly. And you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, for real. And, like, and if you want to do you girl, but like, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It does not matter. Yeah, it is. It is a, a riskier profession than some, right? It's much more likely that you're going to be murdered by somebody that you know than than you don't know. So, I don't know. It just fucking pisses me off. Like, especially, especially when people are going to say something about these people in the sex industry and then turn around and fucking perpetuate it. Don't say that, oh, you're so much better because you're the client and not the... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's so Not the service up. provider. Like, yeah. that's shitty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the same, like, double standard. I mean, again, I know that, like, there are men that this happens to, too. But and we could get we could go on and on and on, but we're going to, you know. Yeah, but, you know, like, the double standard of if a guy sleeps with a bunch of women, he's a hero. And if a girl sleeps with a bunch of guys, she's a She's slut. a hoe, yeah. Like, what the fuck? It's, I don't know, it's so fucked up. It pisses me off. Yes. So, anyway, fuck those people. From all accounts, Jaren was an amazing person. And an amazing mom. Yeah. And you know what? She she was trying to do better with her drug situation. Like, imagine... She was getting ready to go to cosmetology school. Like, imagine the things that she could have done and the life she was getting ready to provide for her daughter. Like... And her fiancé. Like, yeah. If they... Her boyfriend, I guess. Yeah. If they could have gotten, you know, gotten clean, gotten help, like... There's a there is a second chance for everybody. Yeah, like, and you are, you have to work with what you have. You're given the hand that you're dealt. Like, you know, she was doing the best that she could. Yeah, and who are Terry Speaks and Margaret Sanchez to decide when that's over for her? Like, yeah, obviously they're upstanding citizens. Yeah. that <laughs> yeah, are, exactly. should play God in that way. But also that Venus transition thing. The Oh, yeah. Let's talk more about that. Yeah. The Killer Couples episode made a big, big deal of this. But basically what they said was that 
you know, because we talked about it a little bit earlier on that Margaret was very into the like, occult. Yeah, the, black yeah. magic and the voodoo and stuff like that. So she had a lot of books. First of all, she had a lot of books on the human anatomy, like yes. a lot and like surgical precision type things. More than your average bear, although Torella really enjoys anatomy and physiology, so... <laughs> I know. Every time I see that, I'm like, if somebody came into my house, I have a lot of anatomy and physiology books. I mean, I had to take it when I was going to be in, like, when I was trying to be in nursing school or whatever. But she would come home and be like, hey, Tori, do you know what this bone is? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Stop (laughs) talking to me about this. I really thoroughly enjoy bones. Loved it. Yeah. Like, the, our first chapter in anatomy and physiology was the skeletal system. And I was like, I want to be a forensic anthropologist. Like in that moment, I fell in love with the skeletal system. Yes. And it was such a nerd thing, but I really love it. But everyone nerds out on stuff, just not the same nerdy stuff. Yeah. And like after that, I wanted to go to UT and I wanted the body farm, right? Yeah. I wanted to study under Bill Bass and like do the body farm and like all those things. But alas, we had no money for that. So here we are. Here we are podcasting. Uh, But... Yeah, so I have an, a lot of anatomy and physiology books, but um, as far as I can tell, she was not in any type of nursing school or anything like that. So she just had like a lot of anatomy books, but she also had a lot of books on the occult and things like that. Well, the difference between having those things because you're interested in them and having them because you are suspicious is if you're tied to a murder. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely. Like big difference there. I've you can been. just enjoy them. Sure. Yeah. But if somebody's like, did you murder and dismember this person? Doesn't look good for you. It does not look good. It definitely puts a a tick in the maybe you're a murderer category. Scarlet letter. Yeah. So since she was into all that kind of stuff, they were really big on this Venus transition thing. But what they were saying is that they believed that if they performed a human sacrifice on the night of the Venus transition. And this sounds far-fetched, right? It sounds like satanic panic a little bit. Like, you know, because everybody freaked out about that in the 90s and all this stuff and none of it was ever proven. Like, there's like virtually no cases of this actually happening. However, Jaron Lockhart was murdered the night of the Venus transition. And Terry and Margaret had both been heard saying that if they could just get a girl that night, that all of their problems would go away. And then what the the episode was saying, the Killer Couples episode was saying that if that they believed that if they could perform a human sacrifice on this night, that all of their issues would go away. And like, because, you know, at this point, they're having marital troubles, they're having financial troubles, like, all this shit's going wrong. So they believe that like this was going to wipe away all their problems. And it, if that is totally untrue and far-fetched, it's a pretty big coincidence that it happened on this particular night that only happens once every 2,000 years. It's kind of a pretty, yeah. pretty big coincidence there. So, exactly. you know, and so that like the... The people interviewed in the episode were like, you know, these people were just totally heartless, but very much like this person has to go because I want to have a a good day tomorrow, basically. Like it was just completely calculated. Like they're saying that they knew exactly when this was going to happen. They didn't know necessarily the victim beforehand, but they knew it was going to happen. 
and they knew when it was going to happen. It was totally premeditated. They just needed to find a person. And whether or not Jaren agreed to go with them didn't matter. And probably by that point, they'd already been turned down a few times. And they at least, Jaren was getting off shift at that point. So she was at least not inside the club. And I'm sure that they were incredibly, um, oh my God, what's the right word? Uh, frantic. Oh, yes. Okay. Because they were getting the desperate. Dwi- yeah, they're getting desperate. Like the night's like dwindling down. They're probably like getting frantic to try to find somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So the inhibitions yeah. or whatever and probably drug use yeah. carried into that too. Well, and Jaren was, they said she was late on her rent that month or she was going to be late. So she was probably desperate as well. Yeah. So she, they said, you know, maybe she's thinking, I know this guy, he wouldn't set me up with something that was going to be dangerous or he's going to be there. You know, we talked about that last week. He'll be there if something goes down. I know he's a bodyguard. Like, I'll be good. I can make this extra money and then I can make rent this month. Well, and for Margaret's dad to say like, well, they didn't have the money, so it probably wasn't them. If she knew them and he was like, well, we don't have the money with us, but if you come back to the house, we have it. You can lie. Obviously, they're good at it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, them not actually having the money has nothing to do with anything. I mean, there's plenty of cases where people will find somebody on the internet. You know, here I've just said how rare it is, but plenty of cases where, you know, people find somebody on the internet and say, okay, I'm going to give you this much money for XYZ or a photo shoot or whatever it is. And then they, they never had that money. There was no intention of that. Like, you know, doesn't matter. You can say anything you want to. And, and they can too, you know, they can say this is, there's this big party, there's going to be rich people there or whatever. They just need somebody to dance. You know, you'll get 500 bucks. I mean, shit, 500 bucks for, you know, an hour's worth of work. I mean, come on, like impressive, you know, you're like, okay, fine. That's easy. Yeah. I can do that. I'll do that. Go home. You know, I won't totally. be that late getting home, like whatever. But the fact that what's really strange to me, though, and I feel like lends to maybe that she didn't want to go with them, is that she had called Jeremy and said, okay, I'm on the way home. So if she changed her mind and was going to stay out later, I feel like she was going to, she would have told him that. Well, yeah, that's the kind of relationship that they had. Yeah, but also, I guess he didn't have a phone then. He would have had to call her from a payphone. So I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's no telling. Yeah. The fact of the matter is she didn't make it home and it was because of Margaret and Terry. Yeah, exactly. Whether or not she wanted to go with them doesn't matter because she didn't go with them under the pretense of we're going to murder you. She would have gone with them if she had gone willingly for some other reason, assuming that she was going to leave and go home safely. So either way, not what they promised. But, I yeah, I and we'll never know if she really went willingly or not. But it's just the whole thing is awful. Mm-hmm. Especially, I don't know. I mean, it's awful no matter which way you slice it. But at the same time, it's like, especially for the reason of like... Just so they could have a good Tuesday. Yeah, like, because all your problems are going to go away. Have we gotten so far away from like personal responsibility for our problems that we're a murder something like I just it that is insane to me and Terry Speaks and Margaret Sanchez are both people I think Terry Speaks especially is a person who has no 
he who takes no responsibility for his own issues well he blames him losing his, his first family, two marriages yeah. and his families on his wives knowing what kind of person that he is i'm gonna say that that's his fault i'm gonna say that he did something at the very least yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't think it's just them these women all of a sudden being like never mind i don't want to be with you anymore something happened dude like, but he plays a victim very very well yeah step up like Take responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. So there it is. That's it. That is really sad. It is really sad. And I am disappointed that Margaret's only getting 40 years. I am too. Um, At the very, very least, she will be in her 70s by the time she's released. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, not that you can't do anything when you're in your 70s, but the greater part of your life has passed you by. Yeah. So at least there's that. Hopefully there is some, I don't know. I do, I'm not sure how it works in different prison systems or whatever, but I do hope that they at least do some kind of like psychological evaluation because I think that if she's going to, if she's going to be able to be released at any point, she needs to have some psychological rehabilitation, at at least, yeah, evaluation. And I would think some therapy, some counseling, some some things going on there. Because you can't, you cannot release somebody back into the world who still believes that if I, that it's okay to murder somebody else if it's going to get me ahead in life. Right. I mean, that's dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous and irresponsible. Yeah. So, so hopefully they're doing something there because if that's still her thought process when she leaves, then what are we doing? Totally. But. That's it. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.